there, there's a great emphasis on comfort. All the commercials on television, all the media, it's focused on what will make me feel better about my life today. So I say that as a background comment. N- nobody in our culture is preparing us for the aging years and the challenge of it. Even our whole idea of retirement. You get to stop working and now enjoy the comforts of what you've laid up and Social Security, your bank, you know, 401ks, whatever. And this is your season. But, you know, a century ago, that wasn't the case. From his past positions as an executive director to that of a seasoned pastor and now retired, Dr. Hal Habecker discusses how to finish well and that you are never finished with the art of living and giving. Hal draws on the lessons he's learned from mature people who have spoken into his life. So let's dive in to part one of this two-part series with Dr. Hal Habecker right here on The Age Sage. Here is your host and the senior editor, Robert J. LaCosta. Well, we're back in the studio here with Pastor Hal Habecker, who is the founder of Finishing Well, which is a ministry and an organization that encourages seniors in a broad sense, and we'll get into some of that. But Hal, welcome back to The Age Sage. Bob, it's great to be here with you again. It's just refreshing to see you. God brought us together in a unique way. Through media, the internet. Uh, two, two seniors discovering somebody, somebody else through social media. Yeah, and here we are, continuing the journey together. And there's nothing that gives me greater joy and pleasure than to meet a fellow uh, pilgrim in this journey of serving Christ during our aging years. This season that we're in is probably one of the most uh, misunderstood seasons in life because so much of life has transpired already. And then there's this whole cloud of death before us. So there's this, this, it's almost like a nor'easter. You've got got, uh, some really interesting and sometimes perplexing convoluted questions, variables swirling around. And we're in the middle of a incredibly transitional worldwide era. When you put all that together, Hal, how does something like finishing well, the concept, your ministry and organization particularly, everything God's put into you up to this point, how does all this begin to come into focus? Well, that's an interesting question. As you were even discussing this and presenting this scenario where we're at, where we are right now, I have to think back a little bit. You know, our world today is so different than what it was a century ago. You know, today, most people, when you talk about pleasure and experience and joy in life, so much of that is related to what we have, where we live, where we can go, the speed, the comfort, all the technology we have. I mean, all of life is oriented to making us feel pleasurable. You know, people eat out more now. I mean, everything is instant. You can have instant whatever. You know, a century ago, that wasn't the case. What about, uh, let me interrupt you there just for a second and insert the word comfort as well as pleasure. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a better word. You know, we're all comfortable, but that's what that's why we work. That's why we get an income. Yes, we want to provide for our families and everything, but there is a there, there's a great deal of emphasis on comfort. All the commercials on television, all the media it's focused on what will make me feel better about my life today. So I say that as a background comment, 
n- nobody in our culture is preparing us for the aging years and, and the challenge of it, even our whole idea of retirement. You, you get to stop working and now enjoy the comforts of what you've laid up in Social Security, your bank, you know, 401ks, whatever. And this is your season. But, you know, a century ago, that wasn't the case. You know, I think it was in 1885, not that long ago, that Social Security came in in Germany. In the United States, it was 1935 with FDR and the Social Security Act. So we're closing in on 100 years from now. So we've had a century to think about what retirement is. And we want to enjoy it. I think that's the mindset out there. And we want to continue our comforts. But at the same time, as you just said, we're pressing in on latter decades, latter years, when a lot of things begin to happen. Our bodies may begin to deteriorate. We experience death in our family, illness, diseases, all kinds of things. And in a sense, I want to ask, who is preparing you for that? Where, where, where you th- Who's helping you think ahead? And, of course, as a pastor, my, my deal is the church should be doing this. And I should have said, I should have introduced you a little bit better, Hal. You you were in the ministry. You have a Ph.D.? Yes. In, in um, uh, medical ethics, actually. It's a doctor of ministry, a D-min, it okay. is called. Okay. It's called a practical doctorate versus uh, an academic doctorate. Well, I'll tell you one thing. God definitely prepared you for <laughs> where you are now, if you think about it. Yeah. But I, I wanted to just say... Isn't it, as you say, who's preparing us for aging? Billy Graham's famous quote, I was prepared for death, but nobody prepared me for aging, uh, spoken by one of the most intuitive religious leaders of our era. And that's pretty profound. Well, and it's true. Nobody does prepare you for so the aging So it's kind process. of the course that nobody wants to take. It is. But I, I, in a sense, I feel like I'm a prophet or an encouraging pastor saying, we need to think up. We need to think about this season. So we if seniors, repair. so if seniors walked into some senior university in the sky and they they go into a big lecture hall and they have all these courses before them and Hal Habecker's course is offered and nobody's signing up. Well, and that's <laughs> yeah, you're right, Bob. That that's the way it is in our culture. Nobody wants to sign up. Ernest Becker back in the '60s wrote a Pulitzer Prize winner called "The Denial of Death." We deny. The fact that we're all going to die. Nobody prepares for it in general. We're not thinking through all the issues. We're not preparing ourselves. We deny it. We go buy a casket and say, doesn't that person look great? Well, there's two two things that immediately come to my mind. One is seniors and one is young people on the denial. On the denial end, uh, in talking with a, a niece and some other people, about the age sage, you know, preparing people to finish well, finish strong. And they did not like the idea that their uncle would be exploring the idea of finishing well because it sounded morbid. To me, it doesn't sound morbid at all. It sounds like victorious. To them, it sounded morbid. That's the young people. The older people that walk by my booth at church and see my t-shirt that says finishing well or over 55 life group, and they're like, I don't want to go to that group finishing well you know hey i'm I'm kind of a vibrant 70 year old 60 year old i, I want to get out in that golf course or rv or go make sure i get to the alps i don't want to think about finishing so well. you got this young person saying it's morbid and you got the old person in denial what the heck is going on here well that's the way it is in our world now when i started i talked about a century ago or multiple centuries ago it wasn't that way nor in the biblical times i mean young people grew up with older people they took care of each other generationally. 
One of the great stories of the Bible, and, and the Bible is filled with these stories, but you get to the end of Genesis where Joseph took care of his father, Jacob. And Joseph at, in Genesis 50 is writing at the age of 110. And you see in Genesis 48 and 49, Jacob's last words to his sons. But everybody watches older people age, and it's part of life. You, you are prepared for your latter years by living with people who are a couple decades ahead of you. It's all around you. The family is a unit multi-generationally. It's not morbid. No, it isn't. It's life. It happens. I mean, that's you watch your grandfather die, your great-grandfather, and you think realistically, I'm going to be there someday, and I want to finish well, or I want to think about my last years just like grandpa or great-grandpa thought about his last years. That's the biblical narrative. And, of course, that's the historical narrative up until this past century, but now where everything's changing, but you go around the world today in Africa and in the Far East and the Asian world, you know, it still happens where older people are revered. You know, they they have a season in Japan. I, I think it's a day of the year where they revere older people and celebrate their influence in life. But, you know, here in our world, uh, that doesn't happen. Well, Grandparents' Day is the second Saturday, second Sunday of every September, and for the last twenty or thirty years, I've been trying, I've been doing preaching on it and stuff like that, and it's like this vague thing. Grandparents, that just doesn't sound like a hallmark day, you know, Mother's Day, you know. But getting back to watching or emulating, copying, seeing what's ahead by watching grandparent, a great grandparent, great great grandparent pass away or finish well. I'm an old basketball coach. And when is the game won? It's one in the fourth quarter. Yes, it is. So if those being emulated are really being studied, maybe we wouldn't have the young people saying, oh, Uncle Bob, that sounds a little morbid. Yeah. I think one of the other things, Bob, that I'd bring up here just entered my mind, there's an issue with ageism in our culture. You know, we're prejudiced against the aging years. We don't like them. I mentioned earlier, you you look at all the TV ads that involve older people, and they're all around medication and pills and making your money last, et cetera. I mean, so older people, in a sense, are characterized by people who need all the help they can get, or they need this to finish well. And you know what? There are a lot of studies going on right now where older people believe that. They believe the ads they see, and they believe that they're not going to finish well unless they have all of this stuff to help them. So nobody's helping people to see and understand the value of the aging years. It's almost as if we, as an aging group of people, believe our own media, that our media says you, you don't need you're marginalized. Well, let's pick out one at a time. And you probably think I'm going to go to health first, but I'm going to go to finances because I knew a financial advisor who retired and then went into the financial field. So she went into it as an older woman. She was an executive director of a nonprofit and transitioned into financial advice because she had seen so many people. She was in the aging field and saw so many people. And their number one fear was that they were going to outlive their finances. Now, it's, it's, it's one thing to worry about a health concern, but that is a big thing. Now, that insecurity might have been different 100 years ago. Why? Because the older person would say, well, I've got a couple generations behind me that are going to take care of me. So that anxiety about them having enough in their 401k or their pension plan or whatever, so they don't have to rely on their kids, which is what I hear all the time, that's 
I wonder if that's an anathema to the Lord. I mean, he designed one generation to kind of take care of another. Now we have this whole generation that's insecure about not having enough because they don't want to bother their child 1,500 miles away. Yeah, and to even compound the issue, we're living in decades now where if you want to invest in something, invest in a senior living community. They're all over the United States, almost in every state. And they're one of the fastest growing economic enterprises. But they go there isolated from all your other family generations. And the lament that I hear when I go into senior living facilities is simply, my kids don't come and see me anymore. My grandkids don't even. I don't even know my grandkids. I've been living this like you wouldn't believe with a close relative. It is not the grandfather clock in the lobby. That is not what you're seeing. And this is not a knock at maybe some really good organizations that are trying to do senior living well. But I will tell you, we're in an absolute nursing home and assisted living crisis right now. And that's not a hyperbolic. You're exactly right. we We don't have the staff. We have people coming from different countries to staff, and, and they have sometimes very thick accents. And you have people in America with hearing issues, and they, they can't even communicate. And it's looked at as racism instead of like, no, we're bringing two radically different cultures together when an 80 or 90-year-old is in crisis. It's unbelievable. On top of that, we had the pandemic, and we had issues with covering the night shift or the early shift. I mean, we are in crisis. It, the, the senior living, assisted living nursing home field is not what people think it is. The people that know it are the people who happen to live close enough to visit their aging parents or grandparents. They see it, but I've seen it up close. It is not a pretty picture. And there are many healthcare workers that are committed, but so it's not a knock. And it's not necessarily a knock on people maybe profiteering off it, the, you know, the big money yeah. could be, but I'm saying we're in a crisis. You're exactly right. Uh, we are in a crisis. And, and another thing that even compounds this, these living, these living facilities in these last years are not inexpensive. I mean, so you talk about 15 to, grand a month. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so there's a whole universe of challenges in these aging years, just on healthcare, as we talk about it and the people that support that and help that. And, and one of my issues is one of my concerns i think god has the church here to help in that process so unless the church is speaking about all these issues and helping to prepare aging people to think through them and even mobilizing people in the church to help provide for seniors you you know we're we're at a disadvantage so that's one aspect and of course another aspect that i'm deeply concerned about is you have these older people in a church or in a community and they're already being marginalized so younger people growing up are disadvantaged and not having the presence of older people speak into their lives and live with them so how can a church develop a mentoring program or a a side-by-side program where younger people are living life with older people and older people are living life in the church with younger people so that you have a community that's vibrant, that multi-generationally vibrant, where people are sharing life with each other and young people are seeing that because they may live 1,500 miles from their parents as they age. Well, there's a a leader that uh, when I was going through this three-year Bible course said, I do not trust a church where I don't see a lot of white hair. And he was a younger guy when he well, spoke those words. That's very insightful. Um, I have I happen to agree with him. I was mentored by an older gentleman who uh, I was in my 
late twenties and he was just re- freshly retired as a chemist. He was 65 and he walked through 30 years of my life with me. Those are critical years. Now he, he, he lived 65 to 95. I had the privilege, the honor of being under this very learned man who was very astute in a biblical way, but he was my Jesus in the skin. And I, my 30 years were from the twenties to the sixties or, or the fifties. I'm sorry. Those are some critical years you're living there, raising family, going through middle age, in my case, going through a divorce, um, going into um, purchasing a business, writing a lot of paychecks. There, there was an awful lot going on in my life. And this man helped walk me through that. I'm thinking as you're saying this intergenerational thing, what would I have done without him? Well, I mean, it's my story, Bob. You know, I've been in ministry almost 50 years now, five decades. And I would say in every ministry that I have immersed myself into, I was influenced more by older people than I was by my peers. You know, it's just the way God worked in orchestrating my life. And, you know, here I am with finishing well, and I'm doing nothing but what God has trained me to do or be and experience in five decades because I was surrounded and influenced by older people at every point. And I would argue, you know, we all are in some way. You know, when we're in high school, we're influenced by older teachers, older coaches, you know, my track coach when I was in high school is in his late 90s now, and I still keep up with him. That's amazing. That's a, But you know what, Hal? i got to stop you, and it's not blowing smoke. It's just the idea that there's a certain amount of humility that it takes to learn from an older person. Number one, sometimes an older person will be more methodical or slower. And as a young person, you, you misinterpret that as being slow. No, their wisdom has a way of couching things in some generalities sometimes, and it appears as if it's kind of too slow or too simplistic for the the mentee. So the mentor is trying to say something, and they're saying, uh, that sounds like too simplistic, a generalization. And this older person has this vast amount of years that they're trying to squeeze some wisdom in. You're right. And then the younger person has to be humble enough to say, let, let me look into what they're telling me. Uh Two, two thoughts run in my mind. One of the senior men who influenced me a lot in my 20s and 30s was an older orthopedic surgeon. And he had a phrase, which I still use to this day, which captures uh, kind of what you're talking about. He used to say to me, Hal, rush ahead slowly. <laughs> you know, he had a perspective in life. Don't rush headlong into this. Rush ahead slowly. It makes all the difference in the world as you think about it. Now, and the other, the other thought that comes to me, I, I'm blown away by the older men in the Bible. Let me point out one. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, he gives a little treatise on leadership. And he says this, I, as an elder from among you, you know, church leaders, older pastors, older men, they're in a position of authority and they like to exercise it many times, unfortunately. Jesus was always a servant. So Peter has learned by his, he writes First and Second Peter just maybe a year or two before his execution. He knows, he knows he's coming into his final season of life and he's on the last lap for sure. He's on the last quarter of the last lap. And he writes a, a lesson on humility. He says, I, as an elder from among you, as a witness to the sufferings of Jesus. I don't think Peter ever got over seeing Jesus die and seeing him suffer. It wasn't an issue of comfort for Jesus. It was an issue of the purpose of his life. He came to give himself 
in death for the sins of the world. He died, as Isaiah 53, he bore my sins in his body on the tree. I mean, he was bruised for my sin, for my iniquity. Peter saw that. Now, if you gaze at people who suffer, and which I think is one of the great, I almost want to say joys, but one of the great things of value is to be with older people as they suffer and leave this world, being with somebody as they fight cancer. I mean, there's uh, you learn something in that process that you never would have learned at your 30s and 40s when you were the CEO or driving and going for the top, so to speak, or to impress people. You know, there's something that happens in the latter years in suffering that is more instructive, I would say, about following Jesus through all the issues in life than perhaps anything else. So we have so much to learn, and it creates, as you talk, a humility in the older people as well. I'm not as quick as an older person now, as an older dad, to say to my kids, you should do it this way. Well, I don't know that you should do it my way. My way has enough challenges in its own, and I want to support you as you follow Jesus in your age, and I'm not that quick to tell people how to live. It would be great if they might ask us. Yes, it would be. (laughs) And it would be great if we could couch everything we said as, listen, I don't know your particular situation, son, daughter, grandson, whatever, but what about this? Uh, You're not telling them what to do. You're, You're giving them, you know, something to think about. It would be great if it went both ways. A lot of times it doesn't. The second thing I have regarding the suffering, uh, not that this is a little bunny trail, but uh, Jesus tells Peter, you know, when you're older, you're going to walk where you do not want to walk. Peter turns around and says, hey, what about him? <laughs> he looks at John and says, what about John? It was something he didn't really necessarily want to hear or understood. The things of Christ, of course, were so profound that the apostles discover it later as they go through the seasons so that Jesus predicts in their life. But Peter ends up understanding that walking where you do not want to walk really has to do with suffering and service. And what you were just touching on, Hal, about the joy of witnessing someone going through in life-ending illness is almost like a privilege. It's a privilege to see not just the courage, but there's just something universal about suffering and serving that person in their suffering so that you actually take it on yourself. You do. Uh, here's, here's my mindset on this. Suffering is designed to help me lean into Jesus more than any time I ever have before. More than success. More than success. More than some beautiful girl when you're 25 that you fall in love with and you got a great marriage. Absolutely. The more I live and the harder life gets, the more I need to lean into Jesus. For example, Job. Job suffered immensely. But you cannot read the book of Job without understanding that Job's The end of Job, as he leaned into God, wanting answers, which God didn't really give him, but it was that intimacy and utter dependence on God which characterized his life as he leaned into understanding what God was doing in his life. I think that happens everywhere. Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30 are pivotal verses for me, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are labored and heavy laden. So that's a good description of older age. Mm. All of you who have challenges in aging, diseases, loss, whatever it means, I mean, just coming to the end of yourself and not being able to do what you used to do, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hal, we've talked about so many things leading up to this point, 
um, we've we talked about the health crisis. We've talked about finances. We've talked about seniors being um, separated, maybe maybe physically. You know, two thousand yes. miles away, eight hundred and thirty six miles away. Um, the, the the son, the daughter in law, they're kind of busy. They got lots of kids, and blah, 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 blah. they got a, a career. Oh my gosh, they're about to get transferred. It's going to take them even further away. Oh mom, I'll try to get to you. You know, the cats in the cradle thing. We've got a health crisis um, of of, of pandemic uh, proportions through COVID, um, world-changing wars. We've got all this stuff, and you, not just because you're a pastor, you're pulling such depth out of the Bible, something that so many who might be listening to this right now have discounted. The biblical treasures of, of the people and what was said, even your last quote there, you are burdened. There can't be a person listening right now who doesn't have some burden, maybe lots of them, but at least one burden that they couldn't take to God. And it's it perhaps with all the things we've just discussed, setting this whole thing up, they haven't thought of. You're right. And, you know, that's the way Jesus lived. His whole life was lived in relationship to his father. You know, a verse I would uh, that's always meant a great deal to me in this line of thinking, Hebrews 5.8, although he was a son, the text says, although he was son wise, he was the son of the infinite personal father in heaven. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So he leaned into his father more and more. So why shouldn't he say to all his disciples, for anyone out there and to you and me, if you're weary and heavenly, come on to me. And you will discover rest in me, in my relationship with you, because I'm the one who will give you rest. Your rest will not come from your comfort. Your rest will not come from the lack of disease. Your rest will not come from being healed. Your rest will come in your relationship and my life in you. Now, I watched my mom die that way. My mom lived to be age 96. Um, You know, she leaned into Jesus. But I think that's the way we all live. You know, the Arthur Brooks, who has just written a book called Strength from Strength to Strength. I don't know if you've read it or if you're out there listening to this. It's a great book. Uh, he talks about the first half of your life. You know, you're operating out of your, your own human strength all the time. You know, you're doing this, you're doing that. And you realize in the second half of your life, you can't do that. And your strength comes out of a whole new way of living and a whole new mindset. He writes a bit from the Roman Catholic background, but he really quotes in Psalm 78. There's a little phrase that he picks out of from strength to strength. And the psalmist captures that out of your your own human strength into God's strength. So that's what we do. I mean, whether it's David as a young man killing a lion or killing the giant, he said to the giant, you come to me with a sword and spirit, but I come to you in the name of the living God. He didn't come to him with his own physical resources. He just had a stone and a slig, and he only needed one of those five stones. But it's no different in your older age, is it? I wish there was some way you could, like Star Trek's, mystically transport a young person into the reality that you just said about older when you, when you can't do things on your own strength. Because there's a lot of things that young people don't have the strength to do. They just don't know it. The single biggest quote on, along that lines is there's so many things that a young person can have. The one thing they can't have is wisdom. <laughs> True. So that is where that whole intergenerational thing gets so important because wisdom can be coached. You know, uh, it, it's not that 
you know, a 20 something year old is magically going to attain the wisdom of an 80 year old, but it can be coached. And it was in my case. I want to, I just want to get back to one thing. Uh, Again, there's a complex variety of just these variables blowing across the landscape of our lives right now. I I know a lot of people are going to probably be thinking, I'm talking about the pandemic or wars, but it's just so complex right now. And for young people navigating this, they should hear about this story. And I'll make it quick where I was in, I'm in the hearing field and there was a um, a, a health fair that I was attending. And it was September 11, 2001. And all of a sudden, the planes hit the World Trade Center and the organizers in an assisted living community call off our um, health fair. And we had to pack up and go home. I packed up, went back to the office, and got a call from an irate member of the senior community living. Hey, I wanted to get a hearing aid today. Mm. And I said, Ralph, uh, haven't you seen television? Oh, this is nothing. 911 is nothing. I lived through World War II. So I tell that to young people because they've they've been through something that they think is almost earth-shattering, COVID, uh, putting off weddings, putting off careers, things changing forever. And yet this guy is saying, that's nothing. You know, you haven't lived through it. So if young people could touch on some of the confidence, because older people will say, you will get through this. You will get through this. Now, we'll take that back to the biblical narrative. And Peter, as an older guy, he's trying to live through the complexities of an aging apostle spreading the gospel, never been done before. So he's a he's a frontiersman, but he can go back and say from his experience with Christ's suffering, as if Jesus is saying, you will get through this. That's what the older people have to offer this younger generation. I know a lot of younger people don't want to look toward the Bible for answers. I understand that. They haven't necessarily grown up in that culture, but if they could at least entertain the treasures of of some of the biblical accounts and some of the people within the church. Um, younger people have watched the church, and there's a great deal of, I won't say animosity, but distrust, because they feel there's been a lot of hypocrisy in the church, particularly with regard to social causes. And some of this is true. But to discount the treasures of the church, maybe right in their neighborhood, I just feel they're missing out. And thanks so much for tuning in right here to part one of this two-part series with Dr. Hal Habecker. Be sure to check out part two of this interview and check out all the other interviews as well on any major podcast platform. It's The Age Sage with Robert J. LaCosta.